All right, welcome today. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians, class number 8. We'll be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. And if you remember class number 1, I gave you an outline of each of the chapters. Uh, basically a summary of what the chapter was about. In chapter number 4, the summary that I gave you was God's plan requires constant concern and constant refinement that is culminated at the return of Christ. Now, the chapter itself goes through some disciplinary things, discipleship uh, factors, and we'll cover those today. But the chapter itself culminates down in verse 13. He says, uh, but I would, ha I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And he goes on with some statements about the coming of the Lord. Now, not only is the chapter laid out that way, but the Christian life is laid out that way. Uh, chapter number one talks about the perfection of God's plan for the salvation of souls and the, the plan for God's ministers to carry out that plan. So chapter number one, we said, the, was the perfection of the plan. Chapter two was the uh, instructions for implementing the plan. Chapter 3 was the, the plan of God is not impersonal, but a matter of great concern. God has a plan for you particularly. It's not impersonal. Uh, so it's a matter that you should be concerned about on a personal level. And then in, since it is uh, an issue that deals with you on a personal level, then the summary of chapter 4 is God's plan requires constant concern. You're going to have to disciple yourself because it concerns you personally. It's not just a church-wide issue. It concerns you personal. You will have to have some personal discipleship. And this is often what we refer to as, as personal sanctification. So without any delay, we'll get into uh, chapter 4 here. And in chapter 4, again, the first portion of the uh, chapter deals with discipleship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. All right, this is a great statement, more and more. So if we're talking about discipleship and this passage of Scripture says, ye have received of us, that means we told you. You received it from us. We told you how you ought to walk and to please God. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, uh, and I better read it because if I quote it, I might misquote it. I always misquote the first portion of that verse. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So when he's talking about how you ought to walk, it ought to be a worthy walk. It's the same word in Ephesians 4, that you walk worthy. It's a worthy walk. So there is the difference between a worthy walk and an unworthy walk. A Christian can have a worthy walk and he can have an unworthy walk. And so he says, you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And so here in this passage, he said, You received it from us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. So we taught you some basic things, and from those basic things, your 
discipleship can grow. In other words, when if, if I come to you and I teach you about modesty, and I tell you that modesty is covering up your body with clothing, then that shouldn't just be a basic rule. I have to cover up my body with clothing. But from that basic sense of modesty, your understanding of modesty might grow exponentially. I don't know how far it would grow, but I do know from the writings of Paul that it can grow more and more. If I told you about modesty and you believed what was told you about modesty, and if you believed modesty was the right way to go, it for you, it might begin with covering your body up with clothing. But if you were really concerned from the heart with modesty, your understanding of modesty would grow and grow and grow. Simon Peter, in his epistle, he says that our testimony, our preaching, our life should not, our Christian life should not be exemplified just by the putting on of clothes, which is so relevant for what we're talking about here, but not just from the putting on of clothes or the plating of your hair or the putting on of gold. So if, if he tells us that, that, that our Christian life would not be simply putting on clothes, then we understand that modesty is not just about putting on clothes, but it's about an inner, it's about the inner man. It's about he who dwells within us, the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit dwells within us. So modesty becomes a bigger issue. We might go from our basic understanding of modesty means to put on clothes. And as we follow the Lord and learn more and more, then we might understand that a thousand dollar suit could be immodest. Flamboyant dress could be immodest. And, And so the principles that we learned, as Paul says, ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and please God. So you would abound more and more. It's not just... I've often heard people say when a, when a preacher preaches and he might bring out some principle that he's learned or some wise thing that he's learned and a person might say, hey, the Bible don't say not to do this or not to do that. It's true that the Bible may not say to not do this or that you should do that. But the idea that, that a preacher arrived at was didn't just come out of the thin air it's because he began with basic concepts and from those basic concepts he grew and he he came to realize that this simple modesty of putting on putting on clothes also regulates my clothing it regulates how other people see me that ultimately uh, people are not going to receive the gospel specifically through the things that I wear, but through the hidden man that's in me, leading me and guiding me to greater. He says more and more. So you would abound more and more. The Holy Spirit that's within me takes basic, simple concepts like modesty and grows and grows. It becomes more and more. And it consumes my being and my personality and my presentation to the world more and more so that I'm gaining larger concepts on top of the base uh, foundational concepts that I received in my early discipleship. And so you can see this again in Philippians 
chapter number one. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, Philippians chapter number one. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse number eight. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray. This is my. I'm praying for you this way. He's saying, "This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more." More and more. There's the phrase again from 1 Thessalonians 4.1. That your love may abound yet more and more. How? In knowledge and in all judgment. You need to, the more you know about things, the more you realize about things, the better judgment you're able to make. Uh, at, when you first began to follow the Lord, you might see something that you understand but 10 years later you might see that same thing from 10 different viewpoints as a child when your mother gives you a curfew you might be a little upset about the curfew but as you grow and mature which is what first thessalonians chapter 4 is about maturing and continue to mature all the way until the coming of the lord well as a child you hated your curfew Uh, Perhaps you did, perhaps you didn't, but many of us hated our curfews until we matured to the point that we could see the issue from more vantage points than just the vantage point of a kid that wanted to stay out late. You gain these multiple viewpoints, you see the wisdom of a curfew. And so the thing that we see here in Philippians chapter 1 is is that the Christian life is an increase in knowledge and it's an increase in judgment. And the reason that we need this increase in knowledge and the reason we need this increase in judgment is given in verse number 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Things that God considers to be excellent, you now consider to be excellent and you're incorporating these things into your Christian walk. Therefore, he says, as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Verse number two, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord. So here's some Christian commandments. They're they're not a replacement for the law, but they are ethical principled building blocks so one statement from paul or 10 statements it really doesn't make any difference one statement from paul could be obtained by you one statement from your preacher could be obtained by you now we're talking about biblical things i'm talking from a reference points of uh from a reference point of your preacher or your teacher is teaching you biblical principles biblical doctrines you can learn these things As I said before, one statement from Paul for these Thessalonians abounding more and more uh, is basically saying that principles build principles. We're talking about Christian building blocks. And so when Paul says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, that shows you they're not just the commandments of men. The Lord gave them to Paul. Paul gave them to you. And so... They come from the right place, and they have the. They come uh, from the right place for a specific purpose, and that purpose is your establishment, your maturity, and ultimately your benefit. And when you get a little issue like modesty, uh, and you understand it, and you begin to follow it, that modesty is going to grow more and more. So that they're they're not a replacement for the Old Testament law. They are building blocks that is going to take you to a 
better place in your walk with the Lord, a more secure place as far as your daily life goes, as far as your stability goes, going to be a better place. And they are ultimately going to culminate in the return of the Lord in which you'll receive your reward. And you'll receive reward for specifically abounding more and more in the simple things that you learn. So he says, he talks about commandments. And I don't want to get those confused with Old Testament commandments. We're talking about here uh, the law of faith. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So verse 1, when he talks about pleasing God, he's talking about finding God's purpose, finding God's will for your life, doing those things. And of course, you'll come short. And if any man says that he doesn't have sin, he deceives himself. But he says, if we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's um, plenty of provision for when we mess up. But there is also provision for us to abound to grow to increase more and more and so this is the will of god even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication now that's a commandment it's something that you should lay hold of and the idea of fornication as i said before you understand the basic rules why you shouldn't fornicate you get that uh, you get that down as something that you know is something that displeases God the abstinence from it pleases God and then you begin to build just as we said just as we used modesty a while ago as an example and how that builds into more and more knowledge and more and more understanding then take fornication and do the same way fornication probably represents something else and it certainly does when you're talking about the body of Christ and how things are connected as as far as Christians are concerned, uh, no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. The actions that I go through in my body is going to affect others. It's going to have uh, an effect on my relationship with Christ. Uh, pardon me, not my relationship with Christ, my fellowship with Christ. John chapter 1, uh, the epistle of John, First John chapter 1. Uh, you'll find some stuff about that fellowship. And so it's very important. These things are basic commandments that are going to grow into larger and larger principles in your life that that really establish you. Just as an example, I really want to cover these verses and stuff, but just as an example of what I'm talking about, if all the modesty that you ever had was just the idea that you had to cover your body with clothing, then you're pretty close i mean you've you you used to walk around with uh, insufficient clothing and now you walk around with sufficient clothing well that just puts you on the edge if you fall back a little bit you fall back into nakedness well let's suppose you take modesty and you learn its basics and then you learn a little more which you might for the sake of the class call another level and boy, I'm not talking about anything where you get 15 points and now you're at level two and you get 30 points. Now you're a level three Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about growth and understanding, just as the passage said, abounding more and more. So you, you learn enough about modesty to put on some clothes and then you learn a little bit more about it. And you're not trying to be 
uh, too flashy and you learn a little bit more and you learn you know it's not just about uh, my appearance that matters it's my it's what's on the inside that matters now you're two or three levels above and you begin to fall a little bit you're not falling right back in out into where you used to be so you're on more stable ground so if i can say it basically like this it's a little bit simple and it may not match perfectly but it's a good it's a good example it's a good illustration of the concept i'm trying to get uh trying to get across to you uh, you're on level ground, which in this case would be uh, immodesty. Then you learn a little bit. Mod uh, you learn a little bit of modesty. Level one, level two, level three. Well, from from level three, you fall all the way to the ground. You get killed. <laughs> level four, you fall all the way to the ground. You get killed. Well, if you've got learning beneath your belt, if you've got uh, if you have growth beneath your belt, if you've got growth underneath of you, then you're not falling from the fourth story to the to the first floor and completely ruining your life. There's going to be times in your Christian life when you're you, maybe it's your faith, maybe it's your understanding, maybe it's your zeal. A lot of times it is your zeal. These things flag. These things um, reach peaks and they reach valleys and you're up and down a lot well the more you grow and the more these principles abound as it says more and more the more these principles abound then there's it's not a matter of being modest in one day and then being immodest the next day you've got cushion underneath from the growth that you've went through from the first day until now so what you want to understand by these things, the more you grow, the more stability that you have, the, the least distance you're likely to fall if you do fall, if you do go back, if you do uh, draw back from time to time, if you do reach a valley. It's not a place to where the only modesty you have is just putting on clothes or the only... Uh, fidelity that you have is just not committing fornication. I mean, because that's a dangerous place. Your fidelity needs to grow to the place where not only would you not commit fornication, but you wouldn't flirt or you wouldn't, in other situations that concerns fidelity, uh, you wouldn't uh, disbelieve the Bible or you wouldn't uh, call God a liar or things like that. You have faith. There's a place in your life where you can have faith, but then say, God, I don't understand this or I don't understand that. And you may even have reason to believe, do I have all of God's word or is there something else? Well, the more you grow and the more you understand, the, the more you see the sufficiency of God's word to a place where uh, when your faith is weak and when you go through a time of weak faith, you don't completely abandon uh, the idea of fidelity or faithfulness. There's going to be weakness in all of us, but there's also uh, the ability in all of us to attain to a place of stability. That's why Paul says in Romans 1 to people who are already saved, he said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end 
you may be established. And Second uh, Peter chapter one, he says, "Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge um, patience, and to patience temperance." And I do believe I got that out out of order. But to temperance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. He says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Well, he says those, he said, if you don't have those things, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So here's one person that's, that hasn't abounded at all. He's blind. He can't see afar off. He's forgotten that he was purged. He's back to living like an ungodly person. He's back to living like an unsaved person. He said he forgot that he was purged from his sins. Well, he says uh, that the man who does those things, he'll abound and that he will never fall. You can read that for yourself. He will never fall. His, his attributes of a Christian might go up or down. He might be high or low. He might. We know plenty of Christians, myself included, that are up and down. But the difference is a disciplined Christian life leads to stability. An undisciplined Christian life leads back out into a life that is displeasing to God. The life of an ungodly. Practically, as in Second Peter chapter 1, a person that has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Basically, he's living like he had never been saved. And so here we see these, um, perhaps a, a large concept, perhaps a, a little bit more than what you're used to hearing about discipleship. But it is the process, and it is true, and these ideas of not just getting little rules to follow, but receiving these little rules and growing in them. And I don't want to just know how to, I don't want to just be modest and put clothes on. I want to know everything I can know about modesty so that my only speck of modesty is just the clothes that I have on. No, sir, I don't believe in that kind of Christianity at all. It's, it's a kind of Christianity just learning one rule and trying to follow that rule is the kind of Christianity that leads people back out into the world, out of Christian service, away from pleasing God and away from a worthy walk of a Christian. And that's not where we want to be. We want to abound more and more. Now, we can go through the rest of these things fairly quickly. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, your body, in sanctification and honor. And so these are commandments. It's God's will for you. He says it's God's will. He says your sanctification, your personal sanctification, the keeping of these, what we called a while ago, Christian commandments, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So this concupiscence is an, is an all-in, overwhelming uh, inundated life of these lusts that you follow after. You're not d just lusting. You're giving yourself wholly over to them. That's the way the lost Gentile lives, not the way a Christian lives. A Christian life is a life of constraint. And again, the restraint doesn't come from the simple rules. It's the love of Christ that constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. God has saved us. God has uh, has resurrected us, if you'll excuse the 
the contradictive expression, God has raised us from a dead life. And now we have a, a live life. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we have a better life. We're a new creature. And so it is. the Christian life is a discipline. It's a life of constraint. It's a life of restraint. But it's also a life of joy. There, there is so much more joy in the world than just what this world has to offer. No, I shouldn't have said it that way at all. There's so much more joy in Christ and his disciplined life, his worthy walk, than, there is, than this world will ever have to offer. This world will never be able to match God's program. And then some more of these uh, Christian commandments, that no man go beyond to defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. There's still penalty uh, for Christian misbehavior. God be merciful to us because we're all worthy of those disciplines, of God disciplining, disciplining, disciplining us. <laughs> so he says, uh, God is the, the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now here's a calling. Holiness, like a, vo- like a vocation. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Well, God has called us all, just as he calls some to preach and calls some to teach. And I would, I would insist that the more a man follows the Lord, he will find a call to preach or a call to... Uh, everyone should, have a call, should understand they have the call to witness. But the more a man is a witness, he'll realize he really is a preacher. Maybe not a pastor or an evangelist or anything like that, but all men are called to preach. And just like men are called to preach or men are called to pastor or men are called to be a missionary, all Christians are called to holiness. And this is the proof text for that. Verse number 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now when he talks about in verse number 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, it implies that a Christian can be unsanctified and dishonorable. And this is true compared to the book of Timothy where Paul says, in a great house there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And so rather than being vessels of dishonor, God has called us to holiness. And people, there are Christians who are vessels of dishonor and they despise preaching and teaching that compels them to discipline themselves it they despise preaching that tells them you're not worthy and you need to walk a more worthy walk even as a saved born again christian they despise that and that in the context tells us in verse 8 he therefore that despiseth despiseth not man but god they will get mad at you if you teach a life of holiness and a life of discipline. They will get mad at you. There are Christians who will despise you, but the Lord is saying here, they're not really despising you, the preacher, you, the teacher, but they despise God. They despise God's holiness. They despise God's disciplining character. They despise those things. It's God that that has ultimately laid out this disciplined life for us to live. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will also 
bear witness to a man that he's walking an unworthy life. He's living an unworthy life and he needs to be more pleasing to God. But a man can sear that conscience and quench that spirit to where he turns his back and begins to despise the chastening of the Lord. But verse 9, he says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Got a little bit of love, and you've learned how to love your brother, and God teaches you how to love your neighbor? Well, go back to Philippians 1 and 1. You increase more and more in that love. And it, it increases your knowledge. It increases... Uh, it increases uh, your mindset about what things are acceptable, what things are excellent. Boy, it's, it's, these Pauline epistles are so interconnected that it's, uh, it's a wondrous thing to behold. It's a wondrous thing to read. It, the, the reading of the different epistles and remembering what you read in other epistles is such an establishing feeling i don't know if that's it's it has an overwhelmingly no i'll say it this way it gives you an overwhelming sense of establishment to read something like this and have your mind go to ephesians and have your mind go to philippians and have your mind go to james or have your mind go over to the book of romans and just over and over reinforcing these concepts it is such an overwhelming feeling of establishment and assurance to know that you're following god and following the truth because he just reinforces these things over and over to where uh, you're, again, as I said before, you're at a place where now you see it not from just one vantage point or the vantage point of one little rule, but you're seeing it from the vantage point of many different viewpoints. Uh, they're all right viewpoints. They're all godly viewpoints. They're all scriptural viewpoints. But Paul said it in Romans and he said it in Philippians and he said it, he said it all in just a little bit different of a context but when when we compare that scripture with scripture it glues them all together and gels them all together so that when somebody says something contradictory we're not led astray by that contradiction when somebody takes a biblical phrase out of context and tries to lead you away from it no sir i've got 10 other i've got 10 other viewpoints here that paul has given me through the holy spirit that contradicts the way you're trying to lead me. And therefore, I know how I ought to walk and please God. I'm not going to go your way. And I judge that. I judge the way you're going to be the wrong way to go. And because I've judged it, I may be unpopular with some, but I've saved myself from harm, from hardship. And that's what Paul says in Timothy when he says that you're to take heed to the doctrines. And he said in doing that, you will... Not only save yourself, but you'll save them that hear you. The disciplined life of Christ sometimes, uh, many times, has great difficulty in the flesh. But the dividends that it pays off in your safety, in your future, in your assurance, in your faith, beyond measure. Beyond measure. More than worth the hardship that you'll go through in the flesh to try to discipline this life that you live. 
All right. Indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Your own personal business, doing right in your own personal business, will grow from a small rule of, I have to do this right, to a place where in your Christian life, you'll have uh, you'll have people out there that are watching you do right. See, that you study to be quiet and do your own business, and to work with your own hands. What's the result of that? Verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Attention to detail in your business life can grow from being honest in your business life to being honest in your Christian life. The way you operate in the flesh, in your daily life, you discipline to do, to do right things and honest things, then it's not that hard for you to see and understand the reason why you ought to be honest toward people that are not saved and live rightly in regards to people that are not saved. This, these uh, concepts just repeat over and over and over. And we're at 32 minutes already and we could repeat them over and over again. But I think that in these 12 verses of Scripture uh, that we have made a great argument for Christian discipleship, for Christian restraint, and that this idea uh, as we go forward in time is going to be pushed back against more and more. So if you if you if there ever was a chapter that was a mainstay for Christian restraint and Christian discipleship that will last until the coming of the Lord, this is it. This is this is ground zero. And the first book that was ever written to a Gentile, chapter four, is ground zero in uh, an approval. And as a base starting point for Christian discipleship. All right, we'll pick up next time in verse 13.